Today's reading is from Philippians 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using uh, one of our blue Bibles, it's uh, page 981. Paul is uh, writing a great letter to this church of uh, Philippi, and he has come to the place where um, he wants to move the church into action. He's just talked about the fact that Jesus humbled himself to come down, take the form of man, and he sees this statement as a summary of that act. And he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Uh, several months ago, the... Uh, pastoral staff started a series called Beautiful Risk, in which they outlined the five practices for Christianity. I, I've always called them the, the, the medicine for the Christian. Um, I have high blood pressure, and I've discovered over the years that regardless of what my weight is, how hard I exercise, how little I exercise, nothing I do, whether I eat right or eat wrong— if there is such a thing as wrong eating. Um, it doesn't affect my blood pressure. And I realize one of the reasons it doesn't affect my blood pressure is I'm wired to have high blood pressure. Both my parents, who never carried any weight, had high blood pressure. And, and so I just figure I'm designed to have the medicine. The medicine's been made for me. I think in the same way, the Christian is hardwired to need the medicine. And the medicine is time in the Word, time in prayer, time in fellowship, time in service, time uh, dynamically showing God forth in our community in a generous way. It's the medicine. We really can't live the Christian life without it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about um, our saving ourselves. Uh, that issue was settled at the Reformation. Paul teaches that we were, uh, through Christ's work at Calvary, were saved from the penalty of sin the, the word teaches that we will be saved from the presence of sin in the future. And Paul says right now we're surrounded with a pressure that's beyond understanding, and we need to be in the battle. We need to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Because God's within us doing this. This is called the divine cooperative. And I uh, think that many times we um, misunderstand the command to take the medicine. We may see it as a, a little bit of legalism. Maybe 
Maybe if we do this somehow, we're earning a better stead with God. But the Word says that's not possible. One of the reasons that God wants us to be involved in taking the medicine is that in taking the medicine, we're drawn closer to Him. Most of us would say that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The word personal means personal. I looked it up in the Greek. And we're to be related in a personal way to the, to the Son who paid the price for us. And that only happens when we're taking the medicine. In fact, maybe you've discovered in your own life that when you stop taking the medicine, you begin to drift in that relationship. He becomes less meaningful to you. So one of the reasons we take the medicine is not that God likes us better, but that we become more acquainted with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second reason we should be taking the medicine is it introduces us to the abundant life that God promised us through Christ. And it's interesting that I grew up in an environment that taught the abundant life was something in the future. See, we're all waiting for God to take us home, and when he takes, takes us home, I'll finally have abundant life. It took me years to realize that God saved me to have abundant life right now. That, that I should enjoy my life as a believer in the world right now. And that's only possible if we take the medicine. So this morning I want to talk about building a bridge from where we are right now to personal peace. And I use the analogy of building a bridge because if I give you a bunch of steps or a bunch of points, uh, you'll skip them. I don't know if you've ever assembled a gift at Christmas, but the last thing I look at are the directions. And I'm pretty good at skipping the steps until I end up with um, four bolts and a screw and I can't figure out where they should go. So what I'm suggesting is that um, what we're going to talk about this morning is like building a bridge, that Paul gives us the materials list and that we need all of it, and as we construct it, we begin to find a bridge from where we're at in the middle of struggle to, to the peace that God promises in his word. And that passage was just read to you. If you can just go over a couple of uh, pages, maybe it's only one page, to Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk about this whole subject of handling stress and anxiety in our life. It's really interesting when you look at the, the medicine uh, uh, behind the whole issue of anxiety. It is uh, terrifying that many scientists believe that over 50% of all of our ailments, physically, um, medically, are due to uncontrolled anxiety in our life that it, it can just capture you. And, and I'm not talking about those little moments at, at, like at night. Like I go to bed at night and I'm not quite warm, but I'm not cold enough for the, to put the blanket on. So I lay there and I think to myself, boy, I hope I don't wake up in the middle of the night cold. And I'll do that for 15 or 20 minutes before it dawns on me. I just need to take the blanket and pull it up. <laughs> Right? So I'm not talking about the everyday insanity of little uh, anxious moments. I'm talking about those moments that rob us from the victory that we ought to have in the Christian life. And let me give you an example. A good friend of mine, Dan Lane, who served as a Salem police officer in Salem, Oregon, tells this story. Uh, Dan is a, he's a police officer uh, by really avocation. He, it's the only way he can put food on the table, but he's the youth pastor of a local church. 
And uh, years ago, he was on patrol, and an alarm was sent in uh, indicating that a building just down the street from where he was in his patrol car was being robbed. So he moved his patrol car down adjacent to the building, and as he got out and began to move around the back of the patrol car, a guy came around the corner of the building with a gun. So Dan said, I I did what I was trained to do. I crouched down, pulled my revolver. I said, halt, police officer, put your gun down. And the guy ran at him and unloaded his gun, fired all of his bullets. Dan said, I was so taken back. He said, they didn't train me for that. You know, he said, he's either supposed to run the other way or shoot at me there or get on the ground, but he's not supposed to run at me and shoot. And one of the bullets hit Dan right in his side. It went through a leather, empty leather cartridge case, through his leather belt, through his pants, and lodged between his underwear and his flesh. But it knocked him onto the ground. He was fairly upset. (laughs) Put a call in, police officer down. Uh, Then he got up, and he went looking for the bad guy. He found himself in an apartment complex. He said he could hear the woman just in the window above him, washing her dishes, saying, honey, there's a police officer out here. (laughs) And and he heard all that, all that sound, and finally help came. They looked for the rest of the evening, couldn't find the guy. So he went home, went to bed, got up the next day to go. He worked 3 to 11, went in, and and the first thing that happened when he walked in the door is they said, you need to see the shrink. No, no. He said, look, I'm okay. I'm a Christian. If God wanted to take me last night, he would have taken me. Uh, The fact that I'm here is an indication that he didn't want to, so I'm okay. Now you need to see the shrink. You're not going back out on the street without seeing the shrink. So he makes an appointment, he goes, and he sits down. And the guy says, how you doing? He said, "Uh, same story. I'm fine. I'm a Christian. He said, no, how you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. He said, "Uh, what are the thoughts that you had about that night? He just shared the event. He said, I'm okay. He said, no, he said, is there anything about that event that made you angry? And the more he thought about it, he realized, yeah, yeah, there was. He said, I put a call in for help, and it didn't come forever. Okay? He said, uh, how long do you think it took? He said, at least 20 minutes. He said, I'm out there uh, trying to find a guy who's just unloaded his gun on me, and I'm all by myself. And he said, I've never been so vulnerable in my life. And the counselor said, well, it's interesting. We have all that on tape. So let's just rehearse the tapes and listen to them together and see what happened. It's really interesting. Within two and a half minutes, the first four patrol cars showed up. Sirens went on for almost 40 minutes. Dan heard none of that. And the counselor pointed out that when you're under extreme stress, your body makes adjustments so that you can deal with the issue at hand. And, and the issue at hand wasn't sirens and looking for a response. The issue at hand was finding a guy who had just shot you. And I've often thought about that experience in our own lives, that when we think we've heard the conversation, we haven't. When we think we said the thing we were supposed to say, we haven't. Because anxiety just sucks the life out of our life. It sucks the life out of our relationships. Paul knows that as he comes to the church here in Philippi, he's concerned about two women who are having a battle, and he says, you know, they're great people. They've helped me in every way. Would you settle alongside of them and help them get along? And then I think he gives us the building materials for building that bridge. The, the first one 
I've labeled trust. Now, it may be hidden uh, in this passage, but he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I used to think, you know, if I'm struggling, why tell me to be happy? That just ticks me off. But Paul uh, qualifies it, doesn't he? He says, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. There's a great verse that Paul uses with the church at Rome as he's culminating the letter. And it's in the form of a short prayer. We often miss it. And basically it says, May the God of hope fill you. The word fill you is exactly the same word that's used the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul used the word in Ephesians to remind us that it's like being, it's like being under the control of alcohol. Something happens when the Spirit fills our lives. and We become a people that people can't understand, not because we're holy Joes or jerks, but because we live a life that honors a God and they don't get it. And so Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you... Trust him. Trust him. Uh, It's really interesting. Uh, I think we all have trust issues. I remember a a vivid uh, example when I was in seminary uh, eons ago when they still had, they still called them seminaries. Uh, We had a professor that wrote a, a line all around the room with a marker on all the boards talking about um, God's great works, what he's done to save us, how he's created the heavens and the earth, how he's prepared a future for us. And as he talked, he, he drew this line and connected it. And then he went over and put a dot on the line. And he said, uh, this is my problem. That dot represents my life. That line represents all that God has done. And I have no problems trusting him for that line. I just have a lot of trouble trusting him for that, trusting him for that dot. You see, uh, I'm okay with, I believe that God saved me. I believe he's in control of my life, except when it involves my checkbook, when it involves my expenses, when it involves issues I can't control, when it involves me personally. And when it involves me personally, it's those issues of doubt that rob me from the peace that God wants me to have. And so Paul says the first uh, material material for our bridge is uh, trust. We need to trust that God is truly going to be involved. The the second is seen in the next verse, um, the model of confidence. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Uh, The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's an interesting phrase. It it really uh, begins the next sentence and and goes with the next sentence, but it really is a bridge between the two. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, when I came out of college, I was in healthcare, in medical technology. I worked the PM shift of a hosp- in a hospital in the Bay Area. And one of the things that we were taught was that when we are working with a patient, especially in the emergency room, that we're to have calm and we're to, we're to be poised in that process because if we become emotionally involved in the situation, we're no good to the patient. And, and so sometimes later you fall apart. I can remember... Uh, working on children who were involved in bad accidents, going home to a newborn baby and holding her for hours. Um, 
trying to get over the trauma of watching a baby die from an accident. But during the process, you try to stay under control. It's important to Paul because he says, um, if we react to the situations around us like everyone else who's without Christ reacts, how are we any different? And so he says, what, what people desperately need to see is that there is hope in your life. That you can, you can evidence um, a confidence in the storm. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know how God's going to resolve it. But you know one thing, God's in it. And I believe he can tell us that because he says the Lord is near. We forget that. Uh, I don't have very many pet peeves. Uh, but having pastored... Um, a growing church for 25 years, I think one of my problems is that so many of us really are functional atheists. We come to church on Sunday and we live uh, a vibrant hour and a half in the Word and prayer, really enjoying the fellowship of one another, and then we go off and we live Monday through Saturday as if God doesn't exist. And, and then, we, then we come back and start all over again. And what the world desperately needs to see is the calmness that comes from God being present in our life 24-7, all of the time. This word uh, near is an interesting word. Some have, uh, I think, confused this with his coming, the second coming of the Lord. But in the context, it has to be a relational thing. It has to be he's there. You know, you can, when you look at Scripture, you discover that God's in the throne room. If you go to Job, you discover that Satan can find him and accuse believers, accuse Job. So he's at a particular place. The Bible teaches that he's everywhere, and he's totally everywhere. He's not, his head's not in Mars and his left leg in Pluto. He, he is everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. But, but there's a concept that was relished in the Old Testament, and that's his presence where he shows up in a real way in our lives, in a way that's tangible, in a way that we know he's moving in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. When we experience that aspect of his presence in our life, it changes us dramatically. Well, the third, uh, the, the third uh, material is prayer. Now, if you want to make anyone guilty as a Christian, bring up prayer. I'm just telling you. Uh, in fact, I, I found solace in an interview with Billy Graham on Larry King years ago where Larry King said to Billy Graham, if you could do anything again in your life, all over again, what would you do? And Billy Graham said, I would pray more. I thought I should have taped that because now I'm in good company. See, we're all, we're all guilty in this area of praying. Uh, Pastor Alex reminded us that Praying engages God's activity in our life. I like what Jack Hafer said years ago. God has reserved some things that he will not do unless we pray for them. And so you can take a, if you take a fatalistic idea about prayer and say, well, what good is it? God's outlined the, the ages. He's planned everything in my life. You miss the point that we're in a divine cooperative and God wants us to lay hold of his power through prayer. Now, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but um, this is the struggle I have with prayer. First of all, I'm a planner, so I like to take care of it first. So I'll work on it for a few days. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, 
I'll put the plan together and try to work on it. Somewhere along the middle of the week, I get desperate and realize maybe I better pray about this. So I'll pray about it. Then I'll take it back. I'll pray about it. Then I'll take it back. I'll pray about it. 20 minutes later, I'm worrying about it again. I'll take it. I pray. I take it back. I begin to plan again. It is so hard to just pray and give it to the Lord. And it's interesting that all the words that are used for prayer are used in this particular passage. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. God prays in our behalf for Romans chapter 8. Sometimes we know specifically what to pray for. Uh, sometimes we, we, we pray on behalf of someone else. We're not quite sure. And all of these are, are included in this passage. It's interesting that the, the Word of God tells us there are some things we shouldn't pray for. James says that when we enter trials and struggles, we really shouldn't pray for patience. You've got to get it here, okay? Because the way God produces patience in our life is he brings trials into our life. So you really don't want to pray for patience. What does he say? Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. What we need in the struggle is wisdom. And so uh, we need to pray for wisdom. Uh, I don't like the way God does things in my life. Uh, I would do them differently. Uh, See, when I pray, I like to pray, uh, Lord, remove this from me. And that just doesn't get past the ceiling because God's putting me through an issue that he wants me to get through. In fact, Paul even wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, you know, every temptation, every testing that happens to us is common to man, but God is faithful. And, And he is able to give us a way of escape. Now, I'd like to erase the rest of the verse. It says, that we may bear up under it. Oh, I hate that thought. (laughs) Peter writes to the church, probably just outside of Rome, and he says, you know, you're in the middle of all this suffering, and God has put you in the middle of this suffering so that your faith might be strengthened. See, God knows there's a future event in the life of these believers that need a strong faith, not a weak faith, to get through it. And now notice what happens. When we pray... Paul says that God shows up and he transcends our very thinking with a peace that can't be understood. He he says, And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we pray, uh, we become overwhelmed uh, with a peace. And I I can just tell you... um, over the years, as we journaled our prayers for many years when our girls were growing up, and we had example after example after example of God bringing a rescue to us in ways we never anticipated, and through that whole thing, producing peace in our life. It's a great treasury that we have. The, the, the next building material is optimism. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, Last week, we celebrated the 73rd anniversary of the invasion of Normandy. Um, 10,000 men lost their lives in that invasion. It was a horrible act of war. at the 50th anniversary, they had a huge program, and I happened to, to watch it. It occupied several hours on a Saturday. And um, I was fascinated. They interviewed a number of 
soldiers who were actually involved in the invasion. And uh, soldier after soldier told of the, the, the catastrophic event that occurred on that beach as the invasion began. One soldier talked about the fact that the landing craft couldn't get all the way into the beach and stopped on a sandbar, and he jumped out in five feet of water. Everyone else jumped out in eight feet of water with 250 pounds of material on. They all drowned. He said, I watched that, and I thought, we've lost the war. Another uh, man had his leg um, blown off as he crawled to the beach, and he put a tourniquet on it and laid there wondering what would happen when he became captured. And his thoughts were, we've lost the war. Man after man who had uh, experienced that catastrophic day was convinced that, that we had lost the war. But another soldier who was flying over the battle scene for the general staff radioed back on that same battle, we've won the war. We've won the war. See, living life is all about perspective. I don't know what your perspective is. You have a choice. The glass is either half full or half empty. Maybe you're wired that it's always half empty. One of the things you should pray about is that attitude. Because you can't live life assuming the worst in everything. And Paul says one of the things you need to do is to understand that you can actually control how you think. There's an interesting study that was done in in Broadway some years ago. There is a substance within our body called endorphins, and it's kind of like an opiate. It gives us a sense of high, a sense of good feeling. And they had a, a group of actors act out horrible lines, horrible parts, discouraging, and all of that. Then they drew their blood, measured their endorphin levels, which were very low, and asked them how they felt. They all felt miserable. Without any change, without any, didn't feed them or anything, then they asked them to memorize some jokes and some, uh, a play that was uplifting and happy, and, and they went through that, and then they drew their blood again. Their endorphin levels were off the chart, and they all felt wonderful. What had happened? Just a bunch of lines. You see, Paul is telling us something very practical. We had a friend who was diagnosed with with MS, and it devastated his life. And we would sit together, he would take a a piece of paper, and he would begin to write the good things that God had done in his life. And it would take him literally hours to fill up. It took him the first time 40 minutes to write one thing. But as he would fill that sheet out, he would begin to realize that things were not as hopeless as they appeared. So, our perspective. And then last, uh, the the need for a role model. I don't know if you know of anybody in your life who handles stress and problems in a way that's honorable, in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that meets the requirements of this passage. If you don't find somebody, if you do, um, watch them when you're in a struggle. Mine was a guy named Bill Belshaw. I ended up in seminary because of him. I uh, ended up in his church. He was a pastor when I went to work in a university. And um, I always watched him for a short period of time. I served on a board of trustees at this university, and he was on the board. And I would watch as we dealt with some pretty big issues, and everyone had their thing to say. And Bill Belshaw was always the epitome of calm at the end of the table. And when all was said and done, everyone would finally ask him, what do you think? 
in a few short sentences, he would put everything in context and give us what he thought God wanted us to do. And I've never forgotten that. I've never seen him out of control. I've never seen him. He's very human, but I've never seen him act in such a way that he didn't reveal God working actively in his life. See, we need to build that bridge from our present problems to peace. And notice what Paul ends with. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Simple steps to build a bridge. Don't skip them. Apply them to your life. And as you're involved in the five practices, taking the medicine, they'll become a second nature to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder this morning that You're a God who loves us, that you have planned an abundant life for us, that that's only achievable as we um, are in divine cooperative with you. And I pray today that you would richly bless our lives, that we can show forth the God of the universe to all of our neighbors. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.